out well. We got some good weather, some nice, cool, it's a little cooler now, which is nice. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll heat this this uh, this week as well. But um, I was so encouraged to hear the teens share. They did a great job. Give them a hand again. They did awesome. Sharing their hearts with us. Um, and just seeing how God is just uh, building convictions uh, in people. And just to see Ezra and how much he's grown. It's, it's really inspiring to see his heart. And uh, I know he's... He's dreaming already what he's going to do for God. Um, let's, uh, let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's go there. And uh, we are going to be speaking about uh, this whole series, the good news. This is our, our fall series. And I want to encourage you, grab an invitation. Uh, if you haven't grabbed them yet, invite your friends because uh, in the next following services, we're going to be speaking about people in the Bible that have heard the good news. And their responses to that. And uh, it's, it's awesome to see people's responses to the good news because it helps us understand how we are to respond. And maybe how we're not to respond to. We're also going to see people who didn't respond the greatest to good news. But it's going to be impactful uh, to see these people in the Bible and to see how, they, how, how we all can understand the good news. And I, I know um, it's always good to ask the question, do you remember the first time you really heard the good news. When you heard about Jesus dying on the cross for you, when you went through the cross study, when you, when you maybe saw the video, when you heard about Jesus on Calvary, what was it like for you when you first heard that this man 2,000 years ago died on the cross for your sins? You know, was it hard at first to understand? Was it hard at first to accept? Did you cry? Were you moved? I know I was. I was moved. I was amazed that he knew that he was going to die. I was amazed that he actually went through it, even though he could have stopped at any time. Uh, the chilling reminder when he says, put your sword away. Don't you know that I could call on my father ten legions of angels, and he could come and end this all right now? But this had to happen because it's been planned according to the scriptures. Amen. You know, just a chilling reminder that he knew who was going to betray him and how many 30 silver coins he was going to sell them out for. He knew that it was going to be 20 bucks that sold out the Messiah Christ. 20 bucks to sell out Jesus. And yet he knew and he kissed Judas uh, and, and, and said, friend, do what you came to do. He knew that people were going to mock him, and, and he also knew the hardest part of it all, that he was going to be separated from his father. So that us, we right now, 2,000 years later, can be saved. And I don't know about you, but that's amazing. That's incredible to think about that a Lord would do that. And the world has different perspectives on that. That, that, oh, th this is, that was just an event that happened. But we're going to talk, we're going to talk really simple today. The message is going to be really simple today because I think before we jump into the good news series, we got to really focus on what the most thing, the most important thing is. Yeah. And that is to be resolved to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. So let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1. 
And this is good news. This is amazing news. And we're going to talk a little bit about how this good news has transformed the world. Amen? Amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, I'm going to read uh, verse 17 through chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, I 
I come before you right now, and I'm humbled out, Father, as I read this passage, as, I, as we hear this passage, God. We all can't help but be humbled out about how foolish this world can be sometimes, Lord, and how the cross of Christ is the very power of God. Lord, it is the wisdom of God. And yet in people's foolishness, they crucified him, Lord. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know what was happening. But on that day 2,000 years ago, on that Passover weekend, Lord, something happened that would change the world forever. Someone died. A, 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 A death that many who did not know him or care for him would have never even noticed. They did not know what they were doing when they crucified the Lord. They were crucifying someone who would change the world forever. They would crucify someone who was becoming the sacrificial lamb for all mankind. That would be a timeless sacrifice for the first man to the last. Lord, it was an event, a cosmic event that displayed more than anything in the world your power, your wisdom. Lord, it, it looked like foolishness that this man would let himself be crucified. He talked his way out of so many things. Many times people wanted to stone him. People wanted to throw him off a cliff. People wanted to kill him. And the Bible says he simply walked through the crowd and they could not lay a hand on him because it was not his time yet. It brings me chills to think about that day in Calvary. And yet, God, we can forget it as Christians so easily. As we go out throughout our days, we focus on so many other things. We're resolved to know So many things but Jesus crucified. We're resolved to know many things. Help us, Lord, to come back to that cross. As the song says, help us come back to that old rugged cross. And never leave it, God. Lord, I pray that this short message would would change us. That we would be a people that are not full of eloquence. They're not full of power or noble or or amazing uh, wisdom or strength, God, but that we'd be weak, that we'd be trembling, and that we would be fearful. And all we would do is speak about Jesus and him crucified, God. Because that is what's going to change this world. It's not going to be our fancy programs. Nothing else can change mankind but the cross of Christ. Thank you so much for this passage. Thank you so much for the failure that Paul had in Athens. In his own mind, he failed because these people called him a babbler. And a few people were saved. And he came into Corinth resolved in this Greek world to just preach Jesus and him crucified. And from that, many historians say 10,000 people
people in Corinth were brought to Christ. Lord, it turned that city upside down. It turned probably the most sinful city in all the Greek world to Christ because you bore all those sins in your body on the tree. Change us, God. Help us focus on the cross. Help us never forget it because without the cross, the good news is nothing. The gospel is nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Nice to pray. We just had a quiet time, guys. I don't have much to say today. Amen. Um, This is one of these passages that humbles me a lot because I can focus on a lot of things. I can get distracted by a lot of things. And this world can be distracting, can it not? Even right now, our phones are blowing up, distracting us. Even now, things are going through our minds that we have to do today. Even now, worries and challenges and anxieties are going through our mind. But is the cross and Jesus going through your mind? Is that what you're resolved to know? In uh, 221 BC, a famous mathematician decided that he was going to figure out how many grains of sand would fill the universe. (laughs) And it was his task in life as a mathematician to figure out how many grains of sand would fill the universe. That's crazy, right? Already, I got Ignatius' attention. (laughs) These were the Greeks. They were were people that wanted to know wisdom. They wanted to know these things. They were into wisdom and philosophy. Give it out to the Greeks. They wanted to understand the reason for their existence. They were searching for meaning, as we are. They were searching for truth. And the Romans invaded this city in Syracuse and wanted to overtake it. And as they were bringing their ships and their their naval ships into the the, the city to take it, all of a sudden catapults just started shooting rocks into the sky. These machines that this same mathematician made was destroying the ships one by one. Destroying the ship, destroying the ship, destroying the ship. The Romans were amazed at this man's inventions, and they were were terrified by it. But the Romans never give up, and they kept coming. Thousands of people were getting killed, and all of a sudden, out out of the hills came this big, huge crane. They called it the Jaws of Death, and it literally picked up the boat turned it upside down, and threw it down. This is in 221 B.C. The Romans were amazed. They were amazed at this man's machines. Who is this inventor? And the leader that they called the sword, Marcus, uh, one, of the, one of the Roman uh, emperors, he said, do not hurt the inventor. <laughs> do not kill him. Because he must be on our side. We must have his machines. Kill everyone but him. 
And they came to a man. They finally invaded. They finally, with many casualties, took the city. And they found this man sitting at the beach looking at grains of sand. And they said, the, 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 they were so upset at all the people that died, they disobeyed their Roman emperor and killed him. His name was Archimedes. And we, we know him now because of his great quotes. Uh, when he understood buoyancy, he ran out of his bathtub naked and said, Eureka, I have found the answer. To all buoyancy. <laughs> he was fired up about his math. Next time you get bored of math, remember Archimedes. He was fired up. He was the one that said, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it. And I shall move the world. That's what he said. Well, I wish Archimedes could be there on Calvary to see a 10-foot piece of wood made out of tree that was hung on Calvary because that has turned the world upside down. That was the lever. That was the lever that turned the world upside down. That is the only thing that can move this world. It's the only lever long enough, wide enough, big enough, timeless enough to move the people on this earth to repentance, to change this world and to turn it upside down. You know, in this passage here, we see how the people at the time viewed the cross. It says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing and not much has changed. People think the cross is foolishness. People in other religions think the cross is foolishness. It's foolish because why would God, why would the almighty Allah or the almighty God, why would a God who must be worshipped come to earth and humiliate himself like that? I can't worship a God like that. It's foolishness. Other people look for miracles. What's it going to do for me? You know, but for us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God to move this world. And it's the only thing, church, that we have that's going to change this world. Amen. Your morality is not going to change this world. Your light is not that bright to change this world. There's too much darkness. The only thing that's going to change is Jesus Christ. And him crucified. Another famous book was Moby Dick. King Ahab, I mean, Captain Ahab was a crazy captain going after this, this huge whale. And he was so obsessed to find this whale, so enraged with this whale, that he told his crew, anyone who finds Moby Dick shall get this golden coin. And he took it and hammered it onto the mask. And he said, whoever spots Moby Dick, you will get this coin. 
and it was worth $50,000. That's a big time sighting, right? And so throughout the book, you hear of people, you know, dreaming of what they're going to do with their, if they see Moby Dick. I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll do this. And they kept looking at it and fantasizing about what they would do with that gold coin if they saw Moby Dick. In many ways, people view the cross in that way. They view the cross. They look at the cross, and it means different things for different people. You know, for Caiaphas, it meant stopping a riot, one man dying for the whole nation. For the Pharisees, it meant killing a false prophet. It, it, it meant that it would be something that for, the, for Pilate, it would, be, it would appease the Jews. Amen? It would appease the Jews that, that they kill this man so the Jews would not riot. And so he'd keep his position. You know, for the Romans, it just was another, another massacre, another punishment that they were carrying out. To the centurion... It was something totally different. And after he saw everything, he said, truly, this really is the Son of God. How does the world see the cross? You know, I've heard people say, I didn't ask him to die for me. I don't know how I feel when I hear that from someone's lips. Sometimes I want to slap them. But I know that in their ignorance... They cannot see the cross. You know, for me, it means salvation. It means perfect love. A man 2,000 years ago, who was also God, came on the earth and died for me. What about the religious world? What is the cross for the religious world? It's an easy way to get to heaven. It's an easy way to kind of live both lives, to be worldly, and to say they're saved. But for the true disciple, what is the cross? It's, it turns our worlds upside down. It moves us. It moves our world. And we're never the same. I remember when I first read about the cross. I was a sinful, worldly 18-year-old kid who was living for myself. And when I read the cross, I, I, I was never, never the same. You know, people said, well, listen, you can choose to follow Jesus and, and be baptized, or you could not choose, and that's okay too. They said that to me. And I said, what are you talking about? That's, there's only one choice. To be a disciple. I can't turn my back on that man on the cross. I can't turn my back on Jesus. I can't get him out of my mind. There's no way I can turn away from that kind of love. There's no way I can turn away from a God who would do that for me. You know, if we're talking about other faiths and other religion, I can turn away from that. 
But I feel loyalty to that person. That's a relationship that I have. And I can't be the same. I can't act the same. I can't be the same. I don't preach the same. And yet as I get older and older in Christ, I forget that younger self that was changed forever by the cross. I can forgive anyone that sins against me. Anyone that sins against me. I can overlook their wrongdoings. I can change any sin in my life because of that. I can do anything and I will do anything because of that. Because of the cross. Because he was crucified for me. You know, as as we look forward onto this passage, I want you to think about what this means for you. What does it mean for you in verse 2? For I'm resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean to you? I want you to ask yourself that question. As we have this good news series, What does it move you to do? You go, I don't know what it means to move. It, I, I don't, I'm not going to give you practicals today. I want you to think for yourself. What does it move you to do? I can share for my own life. It, it, it moves me to want to know this Jesus more. It moves me to want to know what this power is really about. It moves me to want to study my Bible more and to get to know Jesus more. And I can't help but share it with others. I can't help it. You know, today as we're, this week as I was sharing on campus, I couldn't help speaking about it. I was going down to paintball uh, to to play um, paintball with Josh and his friend, and one of my best friends, Kevin, and a bunch of guys. And all I could think about was, I got to tell this person to come to church. I got to tell that person to come to church. And so I was using Siri. Siri and I were friends. And I was like, call this person, call this person, call this person, call this person. I was listening to an audiobook, and I didn't hear any time the audiobook. Because I kept trying to call people to come and hear about the cross. It moves me to want to hand out all those invitations to the whole city. It moves me to want to be totally like Jesus. And if it doesn't move you yet, I want you to think about getting deeper into it. Because it's the only thing that's going to move you. Guilt's not going to move you. Religious duty's not going to move you. Accountability is not going to move you. Nothing's going to move you. You know, I was talking to someone who, he's kind of given up on church. <laughs> he said, you know, I'm kind of sick of church, done with church. And he used to be in the ministry. And he's like, I'm just done. I don't know. I just, I've, I've been so hurt. I've been so, it's just people are imperfect. People are not they don't have to be perfect. They're just sinful. 
in and out of the church. And, I, and I'd rather just not deal with it all. And I said, I know that. I know the feeling. It's messy in this church. Really messy. I'm smelling sometimes. You're smelling sometimes. We're all smelling sometimes. But I looked him right in the eye and I said, do you realize you're a judge in this generation? You're a judge in our generation. And you know what happens when the judge doesn't lead in our generation. What happens? The people go do what they want to do. I see, even if it's messy, and it was messy in the book of Judges, let me tell you that right now. It's the most messy book in the Old Testament. It's really messy. You're like, what now? But the people needed someone to stand up. And he looked back at me and said, you know what, I I don't feel that pressure to be a judge. I feel like Jesus is calling me to be that judge. I, I hope you feel called to be that judge. Because I'd rather be in a mess and love like Jesus and to be safe. Where's Jesus calling me? You know, Jesus said, feed my sheep. He said, take care of my lambs. If you love me, you must do that. If you love me, if my, my death means anything to you, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. I know it's going to be messy. You know, sheep are smelly, nasty, stupid creatures. And I'm one of them. And it's much easier not to be a shepherd. It's much easier not to do anything. Just buy, buy, you know, buy it at the store. You can buy lamb. You know, $4 a pound. Then to take care of them. You can get a sermon now on YouTube and feel inspired. It's real easy. It's free. And you can feel inspired. But who are you feeding? Who are you helping? You know, after the cross, what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, feed my lamps. And I want you to think what that means for you. At your workplace. Next time you see your boss, imagine him going, bang! Bang! Because that's what he is. He's your boss. But he's harassed. He's helpless. And the wolf's coming. You know, this series is going to hopefully move you as it's going to move me. Because this week, I want you to think about what it means for you to resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified. Because church, that's the only thing that's going to change this world. Amen. Amen.